Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. text today from 2 Peter as we begin this series of messages from this wonderful book. We're so privileged to be in uh, 1 and 2 Peter these, this, these months. And uh, first, or 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I could just imagine somewhere there in Babylon as Peter is penning these words and he picks up the pen or the quill to write his second epistle. Once again, just like it did in his first epistle, his mind goes back 30 years prior to a very low, discouraging time, very defining time, in his life when he would deny the Lord three times. And just prior to that, Jesus would tell him all about it. And he would say something to Peter that would just strike his heart with a two-edged sword. But also we're going to see after we consider this verse that it really also was an encouraging word. It's from the Gospel of Luke when Jesus said to Simon, right before Jesus was going to the cross, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted... Strengthen the brethren. And he said, Peter's response was, Lord, I am ready to go with you to death. I'm ready to go all the way. And he said, Jesus said, I tell thee, Peter, that the cock shall not crow this day before you shall deny me three times that you even know me. But Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan wants to take you and he wants to sift you as we put you through the ringer and bring you down to nothing where you don't bear testimony or bear truth for me whatsoever. But I'm praying for you. And when you're converted, when you get past it, when you get over it, Strengthen the brethren. And about 30 years later, he pins down 1 Peter 
and 2 Peter, and he's strengthening the brethren. And we are being strengthened today by what Peter wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that the most wonderful thing that one low, bad, compromising time does not have to define your life? But you know what? When we think of old Peter, that's what we think about. We don't think about when he preached that powerful sermon at Pentecost, the very first sermon of the church. We don't think about first and second Peter. We think about how he denied the Lord three times. Isn't that just like people? But the Lord said, I'm... I'm not gonna. I, uh, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna pray for you that your faith will not fail. Now Peter failed, but his faith didn't fail. There's a difference. And now he's writing to us, and the purpose purpose of his writing is to do just that: strengthen the brethren. Last year we spent a lot of time in First Peter. Now we're starting with Second Peter. There's a difference, but both of them strengthen the brethren. And what I want to do in the way of introduction is just to kind of show you real quickly the difference between 1 Peter and 2 Peter. So 1 Peter deals with bearing a testimony for Christ in trying times. Being that witness when Nero's lions are coming to rip you apart. Being that witness when the Roman government is saying, you can't be Christian. you got to go undercover. Bearing testimony in trying times. Also, it deals with equipping Christians to be faithful. Equipping them to be faithful during trying times. Third, it deals with terrors that are outside the church. Nero had just burned Rome and blamed the Christians for it. And he was persecuting Christians all over the Roman Empire. And Peter was telling his believers in a far off distant province of Asia Minor, it's coming, it's coming, be ready for it, stand true with your testimony, the terrors outside the church are on the way. Very pertinent message for us today. Fourth thing, it dealt with devotional dangers. You might compromise. You might not show your devotion to Christ during persecution from the world. And we took some weeks and months and looked at what 1 Peter has to say. But now we begin 2 Peter, and it deals with pretty much the same thing except with a different twist. 2 Peter does not necessarily deal with bearing testimony in trying times, but bearing the truth in trying times. That's what 2 Peter deals with. 2 Peter deals with exposing false teachers. A lot of false doctrine being preached out there. You, you believe there's false doctrine being preached today? All you got to do is watch TV. False teachers. 2 Peter, or 1 Peter dealt with terrors outside the church. 2 Peter's dealing with teachers within the church. These people who'd crept in teaching false doctrine. You say, preacher, is that a real bad case? It's a real bad case. Matter of fact, every epistle of Paul and epistle of Peter, he was dealing with it. It's a constant battle to protect the church 
from within, the doctrine of the church. Second Peter deals with doctrinal dangers. The truth of God being attacked by false teachers within the church, within the body of Christ. And so that's the difference between the two. In one, we are equipped to bear testimony, to be faithful in our witness for Christ. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord. In the other, which we start today, we got to bear the truth of God's Word from within. we got to keep holding it. See, truth and testimony go hand in hand. If we fail on truth, then our testimony will be false. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Look what he says. He says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. And so if you bear testimony, to have the right kind of testimony, you've got to bear the truth. If we fail in our testimony and we compromise like Peter did in front of those little girls when Jesus was on trial there in the high priest quarters and we fell in our testimony, I want to tell you some good news. Even if you fail in your testimony for Christ, the truth's going to stand. All right? The truth's going to stand. And uh, that's not the problem. It's going to stand, but you will not be able to bear it with credibility. You follow me? They go hand in hand. Hence, I call this series Bearing Truth in Trying Times. Staying sound in our doctrine, what we believe, the hills that we're needing to die on if necessary, our convictions. I know that we will at least suffer in one way or another if we haven't already for bearing truth. I mean, just think about it, folks. <laughs> if you don't bear the truth that God says there's male and female in our culture, you are nothing but a bigot in this world, in this country. Every truth of God is under attack. And when you stand for it, I want to tell you, and stand with it, you're going to suffer one way or another. So let us begin our exposition from chapter 1, verse 1. Recognize that persecution just because we believe something, just because we hold true to something and it affects our testimony, we are going to have some issues. We're going to have some problems. And every text has, in 2 Peter has to be interpreted in that light. And so we come to the 1-1. One, one. Don't read quickly through the 1-1s one, of Scripture. I'm talking about chapter 1, verse 1. Sometimes we just read through them and say, oh, that's just like all the rest. But I won't tell you what, they have a great message for us. They usually lay the foundation for everything else that is said within that book of the Bible. So spend some time in the 1-1s. One, all right, so we're going to spend today, well, not all day, but well, we're going to spend this morning on the one ones, and especially 2 Peter 1 1. And if you will notice very closely, in this one one, there are what we call three couplets. 
three couplets that are very interesting. Notice couplet number one is Simon Peter. Two couples, right? A couple right there, Simon Peter. Couple number two is servant and apostle. And couple number three is them with us. Them with us, servant and apostle, Simon Peter. You see the couplets? Well, I will tell you what, if you will dissect those couplets, you'll find exactly what you must have, the foundation and the fundamentals you must possess if you're going to stand true with God's Word and stand for truth in trying times. When they come into your child's classroom with false doctrine and heretical ideas, you want to stand true, you got to have this foundation. When you are being persecuted because you believe contrary to what the rest of the world or rest of the country believes and your co-workers and you're going to stand true on God's Word and just stand flat-footed and say, that's what God's Word, here I stand, I can do no other, like old Martin Luther. You're going to have to have these three fundamentals about you and in you. And that's the heart of the message today. And so number one, the first has to do with conversion and being a growing Christian. The first has to do with conversion and being a growing Christian, Simon Peter. Now, Peter does something here in this 1-1 that he didn't do in his first 1-1. In 1 Peter 1-1, he didn't do this, but he does it here in 2-1-1. All right? He, uh, he introduces himself and says, Simon Peter. He calls himself Simon, his two names. You know, Peter had two names, Simon Peter. Now, I'm sure, once again, Peter's memory kicked in as the Holy Spirit said, I want you to call yourself Simon Peter. I'm sure his memory kicked in to that day when his disciples were being sent out, and the Lord gave Simon a new name. He's listing the disciples who were going out. And in Luke chapter 6, there's one little phrase that, that begets the title of our sermon today, of our lesson today. And it's, he's listing the disciples and it says, And Simon, he also named Peter. So Simon had an also name. And if you're going to stand for truth, you need to have an also name. Spiritually speaking, every Christian has an also name. Now, most of us have more than one name. My name is John Michael Barnett. I have first name, middle name, and last name. All right? How many of you remember your mama calling you by your whole name? See, you automatically knows, know what that means. Now, I never did. My mama never did. I, I had a brother named David Wayne. I'd heard David Wayne... I had a sister named Cindy, and she doesn't like her middle name. She may be watching, so I'm not going to tell you, but she might call her. No, she never did. My mama didn't do that. But I got married, and every now and then, in the beginning, I'd hear John Michael. Now it's just Michael, all right? Isn't it interesting how people have those names? I remember one time we had a staff member 
here at First Baptist whose also's name was Mike. My sister called the office one day and said, I need to speak with Mike. And uh, I think it was Miss Kathy. Did you answer that call? Miss Kathy, she'll affirm this. Miss Kathy said, well, which Mike are you referring to? Are you referring to Brother Mike or Dr. Mike? And my sister said, I refuse to call my brother Dr. Didn't she? She sure did. It's interesting how the names get thrown around and used. I call different people by different nicknames out of affection. But here, Jesus called Simon also Peter. You know, when you were saved, you got an also name. And if you read through the New Testament... The Gospels. Sometimes Peter is called Simon by the Lord and by the other disciples. And then sometimes he's called Peter by the Lord and the other disciples. And other times he's called Simon Peter. And here he calls himself Simon Peter and he's really highlighting for us a lesson about spiritual growth being a growing Christian, in and about convert, a conversion and what it is. So when Peter was called Simon, his old name, it usually was when he was acting in the flesh, when he was operating out of the old sin nature he had, that we all have, even though we're saying, you know, we still got a sin nature. Amen. And sometimes in the scriptures, he's called Simon because he's acting like the flesh, the sinful flesh, his old name. All right, listen. It's a sad thing, but sometimes Peter would play Simon Says. Amen. Christians shouldn't be playing Simon Says. Spiritually speaking, I'm not talking about literally. Simon says. Well, when Simon would tell old Peter to do something, it was usually fleshly and sinful and arrogant, operating out of the old sin nature. In Galatians, Paul called it the flesh that wars against the spirit and the new nature. And then sometimes Peter was called Peter, and that's when he was really where he ought to be. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and walking with, I think of the book of Acts, when Peter stood up. Not Simon, but Peter stood up and preached the word of God, and 3,000 people were saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. See, you got to also name when you were saved, and if you're a growing Christian, you're going to see that pattern in your life where that also name is how you operate more and more as you learn to subjugate the sinful flesh and put it under subjection. That's a growing Christian. You've got to be a growing Christian if you're going to stand for truth. Let me just give you a couple of examples of this because it's not only Simon when he was fleshly or Peter when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it, it was where, where the Lord was recognizing what he was going to do in his life. Sometimes God, you know, the book of Romans, one of my favorite verses in the book of Romans is, 
is that God is the God who calls things that are not as if they are. And he's talking about uh, our righteousness before God and our justification by faith and, and our grow, growing as a Christian. And sometimes he would call Simon Peter in the... He would call Peter Simon and Simon Peter in the same text. So I want to show you a couple of texts about that. And if you want to, you can go with me. But, uh, for example, Matthew 16. Matthew 16, uh, real quickly, I'm going to show you this. And verse 16, you might be familiar with this famous text. And this is Matthew writing. And Matthew wrote, wrote this. And Simon Peter answered. So even old Matthew's called him Simon Peter. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon, Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. That was his daddy's name. For flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then in the next verse Jesus said, But I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So there Jesus used both of them and he used Simon when it sounds like he should have used Peter because Peter said something good. Peter said something that was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Alright, keep that in mind. Go to, go to the Gospel of Luke. Let me show you one more. Luke chapter 22. Real quickly. Verse 31, if you want to follow along. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, I just read it to you a while ago, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And Peter said, I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell thee, Peter, Peter, I'm telling you, the rooster's going to crow three times, and you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And so there it's kind of odd that when he would call him Simon and Peter. But I want to tell you what. Those two texts are illustrations of a principle of God in his dealings with you and me if we're saved and know him. Sometimes God called him Peter when he was acting like Simon because God saw in him the work he was going to do in him. And he was saying, Peter, I'm going to turn you into a rock. Right now you're like Simon. But I'm going to turn you into a rock. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to convert you and strengthen you in the faith. I'm going to make you a growing Christian. And that's incredible to me. You see, conversion is ongoing. You just don't get saved, converted from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light with no effect for the rest of your life. You learn how to walk in the Spirit. And the Lord does a work in your life and you have to submit to it. And another thing is how does that happen? Well, it happens. God was just so wonderful to give us this character named Simon Peter. And, and, and those exact names. See, the name Simon is a Hebrew origin name, and it means to hear with intelligence a view to obedience. That's what the name Simon means. Simon means you hear something and you intend on obeying it. That's what that name means. Peter, 
That name means a rock. So when Peter is called Simon, there are some things Peter needs to hear. Even when he's walking in the Spirit, he needs to hear those things and be obedient to them and obey from God's Word. And many times when he's called Peter, it means he's right on target or he's exactly where God wants him to be going. And God's building him up. And so notice that Jesus always had in view calling Peter the rock. He always had in view what he was going to do with Peter. What he was going to make out of him. How he was going to use him. Thirty years later, after all those names going back and forth like they were, Simon and Peter, Simon and Peter, thirty years later, Peter writes these epistles under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he encourages us and tells us and instructs us and educates us and edifies us and rebukes us on how to bear a testimony for him. And his second epistle, how to bear truth and stand true on the Word of God as Christian people. Jesus always saw what Simon would become. Isn't that wonderful? Sometimes we give up on ourselves or we give up on each other, but God always sees what you're going to become. And He calls you by those names. Very interesting. Very interesting. God's always changing us, converting us, equipping us. Simon Peter on being a growing Christian. Well, the next couplet, the second has to do with calling and being a going Christian. Being a going Christian. Well, the two couplets, servant, apostle. Servant, apostle. There's two things here. Peter says, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I belong to Him. He calls Himself a servant. That speaks to the general attitude of a Christian who can stand during trying times on the Word of God. You've got to have this Christian growth, but you've got to also have this calling and going, being a going Christian. And you've got to have this general attitude that you are a servant of the Lord. Now the word is a bond servant. Some of your translations may translate it slave, and that's a very accurate translation. One who could not pay his debt, so he serves another. Doesn't that sound like what a Christian is? Someone who couldn't pay his sin debt, and Jesus paid it all, and we love him so much we serve him for paying our sin debt. Someone who is submitted totally to the will of another. That needs to be the general attitude of the Christian. If he's going to do anything for the Lord, and if he's going to stand for truth and even bear testimony in trying times, he's going to have to be a servant of the Lord and have that attitude, I'm here to serve Jesus. may not go like I intended. It might even hurt my pride but I'm here to serve Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? That's the general attitude of the Christian who's growing and who's going to stand for truth. I'm just here to serve Jesus. I can think of a hundred illustrations in Scripture, but I'll just take you to one. I think of old Joseph. You know, he just served God wherever he was, didn't he? 
I mean, that fellow, I, I would say poor old Joseph, but I think it's his brothers who were poor. I mean, my goodness. Thrown in the pit, sold as a slave. Now, folks, if you have problems forgiving anybody, think about Joseph. Nobody's ever done that to you. And off he goes, and he, he's serving in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife gets on him and, and accuses him, and, and now he's in prison, and ere long, I mean, everywhere he was, he said, I'm just serving the Lord. I'm a servant of the Lord. Doesn't matter where, doesn't matter the circumstances, I'm just a servant of the Lord. I'm a bond slave to the Lord Jesus. He, he done so much for me, I love him enough, I'm going to give my life to him. And then, there's in that couplet the word apostle. So while servant speaks to the general attitude of the Christian, the apostle, that word, refers to the particular activity of the Christian. Peter was a servant in general, just like all of us. But unlike all of us, in particular, he was an apostle. That was his giftedness. That's what God called him and equipped him and commanded him to do. Peter, not you, not me, but Peter. Now, we're all to be servants, but there was only 12 of them called to be apostles. There's no more apostles. They, no, nobody on earth right now can meet the requirements laid down in Scripture to be an apostle. They can't do it. So there's only 12 of them. Peter was one of them. He was one of them. And they gave us God's word. Every word in the New Testament was either written by an apostle or superintended in writing by an apostle. A couple of writers weren't apostles, but they were superintended by apostles. They gave us the word of God. The word of God is complete. We don't need the office of apostle anymore. That was Peter's particular task. That's what he was to do. Paul was called to do that. Matthew was called to do that. And the twelve apostles. And so, they gave us the word of God. So, they had that activity. It's said and done. No reason to do it anymore. Job's done. Plus, they're all in heaven. John was the last one to go. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine being the last of the twelve? How John must have felt all alone on that island, all by himself. Being an apostle, he wrote 1 John, he wrote 2 John, he wrote 3 John, and wrote the Gospel of John, and then he wrote Revelation. I bet you that old man was so glad to say amen and go on to heaven, amen? Sometimes you feel alone in the particular task God has given you, and John was alone except for the Lord. Last one to go. The only one who didn't die in a violent way. Old Peter, we're going to see in 2 Peter here in a couple of weeks, he's going to talk about his death. You know, tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down at his request. And there's a lot of, lot of tradition that says that, a lot of witnesses about that in church history. But you know what you might not know? Did you know what they did before they crucified Peter upside down? They crucified his wife in front of him. Did you know that? And Peter stood at the foot of her cross, and tradition, it's backed up. I don't really like tradition. We don't have Bible for it, but, but I'm going to tell you anyway what he did as he watched his wife 
when we get to that sermon, I'll tell you. But I won't tell you if the apostles are gone. But let me ask you this, two questions. Are you a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that your general attitude about who you are and what you are in your life? Is that your general attitude? Are you a servant of the Lord Jesus? Regardless of circumstances, regardless of situation, you're here to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first question. second question is, what is your particular activity? What are you gifted to do? What is your task? What is your task in the work of God's family, the local church? What are you to be doing? What keeps you in the going? If you're a servant, you have a task that He's gifted you to do. Just like truth and testimony, attitude and action, the attitude of a servant, and the activity of a going Christian go hand in hand. And if you're going to stand for truth in trying times, you need to be doing truth all the time. You follow me? Peter's laying the foundation for standing for truth when those false teachers come in. Bearing testimony when the world outside gets violent and rough and hard. Then there's the third couplet. The third couplet has to do with the church and being a grounded Christian. Notice he says, to them. And then he says a few words, with us. Them and us. Sounds like... The United States of America right now, you got them and us. We all mad at each other. But these folks aren't mad at each other. As we look at these terms, we, uh, terms of the author's perspective, we know that Peter is writing to the same brothers and sisters in the Lord that he wrote his first epistle to, these same people. He hadn't forgotten them. 1 Peter 1.1 1, 1 and 2 Peter 3.1 says, This second epistle, beloved, I write unto you. He's writing, the same, he's writing the same people. And so, for some reason, there's some discussion, not on who the them are, but over who the us are. Who's Peter talking about when he says us? Is his wife right there with him? What, what's he talking about? And good people say it's these people, and other people say it's these people. Some people say it's those people. Other people say, well, it's Peter and that guy. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know who that is. I would assume, and notice that word, assume, I would assume he's talking about the other, talking about John and maybe Paul. That'd be my first guess. So I will tell you, though, no matter how you cut it, no matter how you understand it, how you interpret who the us are, it all goes down to this same thing, the body of Christ. He's talking to, about the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, there's them and there's us, the people of God brought together. And notice what they're brought together around. Notice with me, to them, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, whoever that is, through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So whoever the us is, Peter, 
in Peter's thinking, it all leads to the body of Christ, the church. The people of God who have like precious faith. Now, Peter loved that word precious. It's found throughout both his epistles. He loved that word precious. And the word translated precious here is found nowhere else in the New Testament. Right here, Peter uses. He loved to coin his own word, and he did right here. And it is a great, blessed, honorable privilege. It's what the word carries. Great, honorable, blessed, privileged. And he tells us why. First of all, he says this great honor and privilege and blessing you have of being a Christian, even during those times, can you imagine, can you imagine Peter saying, man, it is an honor for you and a privilege for you to be a Christian in these times. When Nero was taking fellow Christians in Rome, dipping them in tar and using them as light fixtures at his garden parties. And Peter says, it is a privilege for you to be saved. It is a privilege for you to be part of God's family in Christ Jesus. Huh? Isn't that incredible? That's the most incredible thing. I love talking to old preachers, older, older preachers who've seasoned and been through the fires and pastored all these years. And I love talking to them, the ones that started out in the 50s. Now, they're, they're older now. Many of them are going on to heaven, but I'd love talking to them and hearing stories of those days gone by. And their old voices are rich and deep because they preach long sermons like me. And, uh, I mean, just get after it. And every one of them, every one of them will say, Boy, it's a different day now. People are repulsed, even in the church, they're repulsed against the Word of God. They want entertainment. They want a sideshow. They don't want somebody to get up and preach the Bible anymore. He says they want, they want to be entertained. So I thought about that as I read this text, and Peter said, it's a privilege for you to be a servant and a pastor in these days. It's a privilege to know Jesus, even when times are tough. Wonderful. So there's three things. It's precious because of its providence. It is obtained, not attained. Notice what he says. To them that have obtained. Now that word obtained is the word that was used for the casting of lots. And how they would determine the will of God before the indwelling Holy Spirit. You read all through the Old Testament. You read it in Acts chapter 2, where, or in Acts, where they chose Judas's replacement. But they would cast lots. And the lots, I assume, were kind of like dice or whatever. And somehow they would determine the will of God. And they'd say, God, we're going to do this, and we're going to cast these lots out there, and you make them fall where they will. I'm, I'm so thankful we don't have to do that anymore. Amen. We got, the, we got the whole written word of God and the Holy Spirit to guide us. And, but Peter uses that word to say the whole disposing. You can throw the lot, but how it lands is up to God. And so he's talking about 
the casting of lots. In other words, he says, you did nothing. This was brought to you by the providential hand of God. This is what the idea of casting lots was, to find out what God would do and the will of God. And he says, you've obtained it by his providence. Think of how wonderful it is. Think, think of the people in your life that were instrumental in bringing you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today in the sanctuary or watching by our live stream and you don't know the Lord Jesus. If you died today, you would die in your sin. Your sins have not been forgiven by God's grace. You've not been cleansed from your sin and you, and, and you have doubts about heaven and eternity and the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. Well, think of the providence of God that somebody invited you to this room today. Something gave you an impulse to be here today. You didn't think of that on your own, my friend. God put that in you. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home, but by His providence, by His providence, God put you in that home. Last night, I was sitting down talking to my son, and years ago we were in a partnership with a missionary in Brazil, and we went and started churches in Brazil, and Wesley came with me on, on one of the trips. I went twice. Several of you went more than that, but I went twice. And um, we uh, go to Brazil, and we're knocking on doors in a city in, in the interior of Brazil. And we knocked on one poverty-stricken home. I mean, it's very obvious. And they, the missionary said, when you go into a home, they're going to offer you coffee. And he said, if they give you that much coffee, they're people with means. If they give you that much coffee, they're poor. Well, we didn't even get that much coffee. And there was a little kid outside playing. His name was Bruno. His name was Bruno. And I asked Wesley last night, I said, Wesley, I wonder what ever happened to Bruno. I wonder where Bruno is. Well, I won't tell you what. Uh, we talked to him about the Lord and prayed with him and gave him tracts, introduced him to the the home where they were starting a church, the providence of God in your life. Who has God brought your way? What has God done to bring you to himself? Be a thankful person. Be thankful for the providences of God in your life to bring you to himself. Amen. And then it's precious not because of its providence, but its provision. The righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ. Look what he says, the precious faith which with us together through the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God imputed to you. That's what he gave you when you were saved and you called on the name of the Lord. He took your sin and applied it to Jesus. And he took his righteousness and applied it to you. And Peter says, if you want to stand for truth, you've got to have that imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ to you. Boy, isn't it wonderful to know that you stand in the righteousness of God. You say, well, I don't act that way. I'm not talking about how you act. I'm talking about your position in Christ. He's the God who calls things as if they're not, or that is they're not. He says, this is it. You have the righteousness of God. And then the person. It's precious because of the person. He says, with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
our Lord. And he's talking about being a grounded Christian. And next week he's going to talk about that precious salvation and all that God has for us. And then, and then he's going to talk about the assurance of salvation. All of these things you must have if you're going to stand for truth in trying times. You're going to have to be grounded with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in a doctrinally sound Bible preaching church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to stand for truth. If you're going to stand for truth, you've you got to be a going Christian. Have the attitude, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm here on earth to do until he calls me home. And my particular giftedness that he's given me is to do this ministry. That wins souls and equips the saints and encourages the saints. And then you've got to have conversion. You've got to be saved and you've got to learn how to be a growing Christian in battle, battle that old Simon. Battle that old sin nature. That's how it is. It is a we faith that we have together in the Lord. And we stand in the Lord together. So, question is, will you, do you have the foundation that you need to stand for truth in trying times? Now, I'm not talking, look, now listen, i got to say this. This is, this is a unique time in our country. Listen to this. I'm not talking about political truth. I'm not talking about whether or not you're against raising taxes or wearing masks or that kind of stuff. I'm talking about when, when it gets down to the wire and you've got to stand for the fact that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Are you going to do it? Well, you won't do it if you're not a growing Christian. If you're going to operate out of the Simon mode, you won't do it if you're not a going Christian and serving him now. What makes you think you're going to start serving him in a particular area that you're gifted in when troubled times are coming if you're not doing it in peaceful times? When it's easy. And then you're not going to do it if you're not a grounded Christian. If you're not a grounded Christian. And I won't tell you, folks, it's already here. It's already here. Do you have the foundation? Let's stand for our song of appeal. As we stand together and our staff comes ready to make this invitation appeal to you, I'm going to ask you to be in prayer. And I want to ask you these questions in the matter of invitation to draw the message home and draw the net, if you will. If you were to die today, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Peter heard Jesus say those words. We read them. We hear the Holy Spirit speaking them to us right now. He's the truth. Are you going to stand with the truth right now when there's a battle in your soul right now? God is speaking to you and drawing you to himself. He loves you and cares for you. He wants to save you from your sin and guilt, the guilt of it. He wants to deliver you from hell's claim upon your eternity, and He wants to save you and forgive you and give you a home in heaven and make you His servant right here now on earth until He comes back or takes you home. And there's a battle in your soul. You need to be saved. No, you don't. You need to be saved today. No, put it off. You need to go forward and talk to that preacher or talk to Cole and tell him you want to be saved. Oh, no, you don't. People are going to laugh at you. It'll be embarrassing. 
There's a battle in your soul. Would you stand for truth on the side of Jesus and come down and say, I'm going to stand with truth and the Lord's going to save me today? That's the invitation. Maybe, dear Christian, you might consider yourself a servant, but also what about that particular element of service? What's particular about your service to the Lord Jesus Christ and the ministry of the local church? And maybe God's leading you to unite with our church today. We're here for you. We're here to receive you and and help you in any decision you have. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.